Good morning, Cornerstone Bible Church. It's a blessing to be with you all this morning, again, live in person, but also for those of you who are joining from our live stream. So that you know the order of the uh, service this uh, morning, after uh, time in God's Word, we're going to transition to the uh, Lord's Supper, and then we'll finish by singing a couple more songs with one another. Oops. That's not going to happen. Sorry. My eyes aren't that good. Many of us have been guilty of interrupting someone before they could finish what they were saying by responding, and I know that probably all of us here have done this, I know, I know. Now, kids are are particularly notorious for saying this to their parents. But many of us do the same internally, even if we are too mannered to say, I know, I know, out loud. We'll let someone finish But inside, we want the correction to be over. I can only imagine that this was probably a problem, too, in the Greek-speaking world. It's easy enough to imagine ancient teenagers interrupting their parents, saying, Oida, oida, I know, I know, can I be done with this now? Like, I've got it. James begins uh, in verse 19 saying, Know this my beloved brethren. Know this, my beloved brethren. He's saying to them, understand what I'm about to say. You need need to pay attention because what I'm about to say to you is important, beloved brethren. What I'm about to say to you, you need to pay attention to because it really is about how to pay attention. And today, saints, we need to listen because God's word this morning is about listening. In James 1, verses 19 to 21, James is going to reveal three responses to God's word that are required from Christians who want to obey God today and to continue in faith tomorrow. So we're going to look at three responses from God's word that help us who want to obey today and continue in faith to, 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 to tomorrow. Uh, I'm just going to pause for a second. Can, uh, I really need to kind of keep forward here to, to speak in the speaker, right? Can anyone confirm me over? Yeah, if I turn over here, it's not picking up. Okay, so excuse me. I, I'm, I'm not forgetting about you. I think I'm just going to look into the speaker, right? Okay. I mean, look into this thing, microphone. Okay. Thank you. So as we look at our first response, our first response is that we need to listen eagerly. We need to listen eagerly. We'll see that in verses 19 and 20. We need to listen eagerly if we're going to be obeying God and uh, continuing in the faith. It says in verse 19, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. If you heard this verse quoted, I'm fairly certain that the context was how we are to relate to one another. It is often repeated instruction, and maybe you've encouraged, for those of you with kids, you've encouraged your kids with this. 
And there's good reasons for that. These, these instructions are often repeated in, 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 in the book of Proverbs or, or, or instructions similar to them. James' concern here about speech and anger matches up with the concerns of the rest of the letter. And yet it does seem almost jarring as we're reading through. That, that this, this seems like a, a, a change of subject here. See, James is not opposed to making us think. And he does this sometimes by putting two ideas together that don't really seem to go together well. And so I'm going to be, begin reading, and I meant to do that earlier. I kind of got thrown off there. Uh, I'm going to pick up in verse 12, and I'm going to read through to verse 21 of James 1. And I want you, you to listen. There's, there's going to be kind of a, a hard shift. And like, why are we talking about listening all of a sudden? It says in James 1.12, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. See, in the immediate context here, James speaks of God's goodness in bringing the dead to life through the word of truth. And we see that in verse 18. He's, he's talking about this, this concept of what God does through the word of truth. He's talking about the effectiveness of his word and God's goodness in bringing us to new life. We see that in verse 18. Well, verse 21 we just read, he, he ends again with our response to the word. So the overall context is God's word. And he's going to continue in that in verses 22 to 25, where he calls us to being doers of the word. So James is talking about our response to God's word. And for that reason, many have understood this uh, command for everyone to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, to be primarily about our response to God's word. And that makes sense, because in the flow of James' letter, James has been saying some hard things. James is really a blunt writer, and he reveals truths that are hard to accept. Truths like, we should count our trials as joy because they are essential for our maturity. That God is willing to give wisdom, but the double-minded have no confidence of receiving anything from God. James says that the poor are to boast or rejoice in their exaltation, and the rich in their humiliation. James says that we are the source of our temptation, that our sin leads to our death, that God is good even in giving trials. It's almost as if James expects controversy to follow what he said in the first 18 verses of this letter. And he's kind of waiting for the arguments to start. Because really he's looking at people going through suffering and saying, what you're going through is God's good plan for your life. 
And so he kind of, he, he, he stops them by saying, know this, you guys need to be quick to listen. And James does instruct them how to respond to God's word. But he does so in a less obvious way. And I think a way that kind of forces us to to scratch our heads a little bit. And really when God's word does that, it is for our benefit. It gets us thinking. So James 1 verse 19 and 20 says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And so, as I've mentioned, the most natural way to read these commands in the context is human relationships. You just read them. You're like, well, he's talking about how we relate to one another. But in the broader context, it seems like it could be about our response to God's word. And I think that James is pointing us toward toward a poignant truth here. The person who is ready to welcome God's word is disciplined in how they respond to one another. The person who is ready to welcome God's word is disciplined in how they respond to one another. And this is especially true when someone is facing criticism, when someone is being corrected, when they're being exhorted, when they're being rebuked. The kind of conversations that often lead to anger. The person who listens when they are when they are corrected. We're going to talk about that person. The person who's slow to speak instead of quick to defend, who's not quick to, to talk back and explain or, 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 or criticize back. The person who is slow to anger when his flaws are being exposed and when he senses shame. That person... That person is demonstrating the same kind of humility horizontally to one another that is needed when we are called to respond to God's word vertically. So if you think you're a good listener of God's word, ask yourself, do I, good, do, good, do, I do well listening when I'm being corrected? If one is quick to make excuses, if you are willing to retaliate when corrected by a sinful man, How will you respond when you are corrected by a holy God? Will those who are willing to strike back against God's creatures show respect when spoken to by the Creator? Isn't anger against someone who is exposing our weaknesses? Ultimately, in God's sovereignty, anger against a good God who is giving good gifts... See, even if the person coming to you is ultimately wrong, even if they have completely misjudged you and they're misapplying scripture to your life, isn't the the, the eagerness to listen and the slowness to speak and the slowness to anger the right response even if that person is wrong? See, God is concerned about the way that you respond to his word. We have to be people who humbly respond to his word, who humbly receive his word. And so God gives really a most surprising listening test. How do you listen to others? See, a failure to listen is often demonstrated by rashly responding with anger. He says in verse 20, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And this is really often the normal pattern of conflict in our lives. Is it your pattern? 
When someone tells you something you don't like to hear that's kind of painful or embarrassing or um, you're certain you're right, James warns that anger will not achieve or produce righteousness in your life. The anger you feel best about, when, when, when you are certain that you are justified at this rising in your heart, that you're like, I know I'm right. When you're convinced that you're righteous, that anger really exposes nothing but pride. And it erupts into sin after you reflect upon it afterwards, right? What was that anger really saying about myself? Really, the anger was showing my pride. And I know that because of the anger that came out afterwards. If you want to please God, you must reject anger. And this is true regardless whether you're, you're actually guilty or innocent. Your anger will not produce the obedience to Jesus' commands which God expects from you. The anger that follows a failure to listen, that, that, that follows an outburst of defense, is not a godly anger over sin. It's anger, anger arming itself to defend itself in self-defense, in self-righteousness, in self-will. The person who seals themselves in a fortress of their own innocence and self-righteousness proceeds to angrily attack others who presume to question their perfection. All the while they say, I know I'm a sinner, but... And really, they're just lobbing, you, you know, and you can picture your kids with, with, with the snowballs behind a snowbank ready to lob those snowballs at someone. I know I'm a sinner, but let me grab another brick to throw at you. This is what our anger does when we fail to listen and we speak quickly. We ought to be eager to hear what God's word says, whether it confronts sin or whether it surprises us with a doctrine that we may not be comfortable with. When it comes to God's word, we must be slow to speak. We must practice listening instead of prepping our eloquent and self-justifying answers. You guys can see from my experience with this that I'm good at this. Especially when those answers are, are, are in our defense. I'm guilty of this, I'm saying. We must put our hand over our mouth before questioning God or accusing Him, specifically regarding His goodness and His sovereignty, which is the immediate context. Being slow to speak will help us be slow to anger. Anger would never be right against God, and we know that. We can't raise our fists against God. But perhaps it would feel justified against someone like James. Someone who's instructing us about trials and, and, and the way we should be handling temptation. But it's impossible to separate the instruction of this verse from our listening directly to God's word. To our being instructed by someone from God's word. Or being discipled by someone to live according to God's word. This is all what we're doing here is in the context of God's word in our lives. Our posture must be to listen humbly. To practice temperance in our response. Without being quick to excuse or defend. And to be guarded against anger towards the person who's delivering this message. Who's instructing us. Who's maybe even confronting us. Maybe even pushing us to obey. I must have that response when you come to me. You need to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to be angry. And you must have that response when I come to you. 
when we come to one another. Even if you're afraid that that person coming to you is misapplying God's word. If we're going to be discipling one another, if you are going to be used for the purpose of Christ-likeness in one another's life, and if I'm going to be used for that purpose in your life, we all must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. James 1.19 is, is a pattern that we should follow in all of our relationships. And so you have to ask yourselves, if you want to be a good listener to God's word, am I a good listener to one another? But it's particularly essential when someone is confronting you or when someone is exhorting you. It's when they're bringing God's word to bear on your life. When someone comes with a Bible open and says, Brother, I've got a concern. We have to be ready to listen. But we also need to be saints who are willing to listen. Are you humbly and prayerfully saying anything to anyone that might be hard to take? When was the last time you said something to someone that might be hard to take? Or are you playing it safe? Are you allowing the brothers and sisters in your life to continue in sin for years because you're afraid of how they will respond? including spouses. Don't fail to speak because you are afraid of someone else's response. And some of us are guilty. We've trained you not to speak in our lives by being angry with you. Don't, because of someone else's sin, don't stop speaking into their life. When James warns the saints by saying anger will not produce the righteousness of God, he's also motivating them. This is not just warning, but he's he's holding the apple in front of of the horse. I guess apple, carrots, I don't know, sugar, whatever horses like to eat. He's holding out, he's motivating them with God's righteousness. As those who have been brought to life by the Father's will through the word of truth, you have the ability, it says, to achieve righteousness. And this is not talking about you doing enough good works to make yourself righteous before God, but he's talking about producing righteousness in your life, acting out obedience. Righteousness of God refers to the conformity to God's law in our life. A righteous life is a life in which we love God and our love for God leads to obedience of God. A righteous life is eager to hear God's word, even when it comes from one of our brothers or sisters, so that we can please God. This is is that righteousness that won't come about from anger. James holds out to them this this motivation of pleasing God and, 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 and fulfilling God's righteous requirements, not perfectly, but as a pattern of their lives. He knows that God's people want to please God. You want to live righteously. So let me ask you, do you want to be righteous? Do do, do you want to obey God's commands? Is that appealing to you because of God's spirit living in you? Do you want that righteousness? Then you're going to have to learn to keep your mouth shut. You have to learn to listen to God's word and to the saints speaking into your life. You have to learn not to respond in anger. See, you can produce righteousness through a resurrected Christ living in you. Not a righteousness to satisfy God's wrath. That's what Christ did on the cross. But a righteousness in your life, not perfect, but truly pleasing to him. But you have to be eager to listen. We have to listen 
eagerly. That's the first response. We also need to discard wickedness. We, ha- we have to discard wickedness. We have to get rid of wickedness. James 1.21 says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. If we're going to practice righteousness as it describes at the end of verse 20, and if we're going to respond rightly to God's word where this is going at the end of verse 21, we have to repent of wickedness. And I know that most of you would say, well, of course we do. The verb putting aside here, it could be used of taking off clothes. Next 7 verse, verse 58, this word was described of the witnesses Uh, and this is at Stephen's martyrdom, who laid aside their robes, who put aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. This word is also used in in, in a similar way in Hebrews 12.1. Talked about this week, he's meditating on Hebrews 12.1. It's the same word. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And this word is is so often used in in Scripture that some people think it is part of, of, uh, of the baptism picture. Listen to 1 Peter 2.1. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, you put aside all of those sins. You get rid of them. And this is what we do when we come to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4.22. In reference to your former manner of life, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Or again in Colossians 3.8. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Get rid of all of that wickedness. Putting away pictures a definitive choice. And that doesn't mean that this is a choice you only need to make once. But it does when you see wickedness in your life saying, I am not going to tolerate this. I am getting rid of this. I I, I am running in the opposite direction from this. I am leaving this in the dump. I do not want this filth. It's like when a husband comes home from work and his wife makes him change his clothes before entering the, the house. She wants nothing to do with that smell and the grime and the dirt from his job in her house. And he, she's like, no, you need to take that off outside. You don't even come in here without taking that off. Responding to God's word requires we decisively put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. And, 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 and the way that the New American Standard says all that remains, it, it kind of su- suggests maybe there's a little bit left. You know, you, you just have some, some remaining wickedness. Well, if, if you see your note in, in the New American Standard, it says abundance. The surplus of wickedness. The abundance of wickedness. ESV has a descriptive word rampant. Rampant wickedness. James is calling for radical cleansing of all filthiness. When one changes a diaper, some of you have had this experience, and it's not going well. You're not okay with your hands getting mostly clean. Right? You want to remove all filthiness off of your hands. You're not okay? They're mostly clean. When you weed your yard, you don't just weed a portion of your yard and leave in the other portion an abundance of weeds. Weeding only 95% of your yard would be foolish. Why? Because those weeds are going to spread. You must get rid of the rampant weeds of wickedness. If you're going to cultivate a healthy yard of righteousness, you have to get rid of all of that wickedness. You have to have a commitment to say, I'm not going to let any of it linger here. If we're going to rightly respond to God's word, You can't allow moral filthiness and wickedness to persist in your life. You must get rid of whatever doesn't match up with God's word. And I don't mean only the few things left that the world considers 
wicked. It's not just kind of the wicked that everyone can agree on. Or, or it's not even what, what you personally think of as filthy. Oh, I really hate that sin. We must eradicate what God hates. Partiality, James is going to talk about. Jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting, pride, impurity, complaining, greed, envy, gossip, slander, anger. What some of those, some people refer to as the respectable sins, the kind of rampant wickedness you can let flourish in your life for, for, for years, looking like a Christian, maybe enjoying a lot of Christian benefits. Listen to what God hates in Proverbs 6, verses 16 and 19. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven that are an abomination to him. He detests them like that diaper gone bad, haughty eyes. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans. It doesn't have to be plans of murder. It could be all kinds of wickedness. Feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Just a few things that God hates. God's word will not flourish, flourish in hearts choked by the weeds of filthiness and wickedness. If you want to receive God's word, you have to committedly root out wickedness in your hearts. Are you experiencing, saints, the growth that God wants from you? The growth in righteousness from the God who gave you this new birth? The growth that God requires of you? Right? He brings you to new birth so that you flourish. What growth stunting sin in your life have you been toying with? I, I, I was, grew up hearing that if you drink coffee too soon, it, uh, it stunts your growth and you won't get tall. I don't know if that's true or not. It's probably not true. But what coffee have you been drinking? What, 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 what wickedness have you been bringing into your life that's, that's keeping you spiritually short, that's uh, preventing righteousness from flourishing in your life? What sin does, needs to be decisively put away? It needs to be taken off like a soiled garment. What sin is so filthy that the only answer to it is for it to be stripped off, rolled up and cast in the fire and saying, I am leaving that forever. And if you go back to it, you do that again and again and again. Where does the garden of your life need roundup? As James has already said, sin leads to death. That was just the, 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 the couple verses previously. You cannot let sin fester in your life and think that you will escape death. I know we have to balance this with our confidence and our eternal security and in the salvation that Christ gives and he gives us new life. Then grow in righteousness. Embrace this. Saying, I'm going to get rid of this wickedness. I'm going to get rid of this filth. Don't let sin, don't let the filth fester in your life. If we're going to receive God's word, if we're going to respond the way that God requires so that we flourish in obedience and that we continue in the faith, we need to listen eagerly, we need to discard wickedness, and number three, we need to humbly accept God's word. We need to humbly accept God's word. James 1.21, the second half, and the first half is, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, that rampant wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. The implanted word pictures God's word like a seed that has been planted in your heart through the Holy Spirit and which is already growing. 
See, he's speaking to people he's confident that are saved. You've received God's word in your heart and you have new life and it's growing. Well, then get rid of that filth, but in humility receive it. You've already responded in faith to the truth of Scripture, to the revelation of Christ and all of His glory, to the promises of the gospel that you can be forgiven. You've already committed to obey Jesus' commands, to love Jesus as Lord. The word in your life is present and it's growing. And you are currently, he's saying to them, you are a greenhouse for God's word. It is implanted in you and it's growing in you. But so he says, and it is interesting, so receive it. It means to accept willingly, to welcome God's word as the authority, the authoritative revelation of God himself, of his expectation, of his salvation, of his plan for this world. And this command is fascinating. To those who have already accepted the gospel, who have already been saved by it, James pleads for them to humbly accept it. And we're like, well, I've already accepted it. No, no, no. He's saying, receive it, welcome it. And the word here is in humility. In humility. It can also be translated as gentleness or meekness. It's the quality that Lexicon says of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's own self-importance. Not overly impressed by one's self, uh, own self-importance. You can see how this goes right in hand with being willing to listen. Instead of a self-centered manipulation of life to get what you deserve, which is pride, trying to satisfy your preferences, trying to angle yourself to have your desires satisfied, We ought to have an attitude of meekness, of realizing we deserve nothing except punishment, of admitting we know nothing except what God has revealed in his word. An attitude of humility is amazed at being given new birth by God, amazed at the opportunity we have to serve at his feet. It's an attitude of being willing to listen and being slow to speak. It's far more concerned with what God says than what we know. When someone receives an organ transplant, one of the biggest dangers is the body's own immune system attacking the new organ. This this transplanted organ will only work, and the person will only live if the body of the individual accepts this new organ. In a sense, if they welcome it. Are you accepting that life-giving word of God, both in its, in its revelation, but also in its requirements upon your life? Are, are you a hospitable environment for God's word? Or are you fighting against it? The immune system of, of, of your remaining sin nature will seek to destroy this foreign but life-saving organ of God's word. Are you squelching God's word, suppressing it, assuming you know better? Are you humbly accepting his word as the only way to live? Are you welcoming God's word not just as the means of salvation, but also as the course of your salvation? See, at the end of verse 21, James says that God's word is able to save your souls. Now, he's saying this to people who have already confessed their faith in Christ, who are already being persecuted as Christians, at least many of them. See, James' focus in this verse is not our initial conversion. He, he's already described that conversion at the end of verse 18. Describes how God brought us forth 
by the word of truth. God saves those he's chosen through the hearing the gospel and through their receiving of God's grace through faith. But God's word is also his means to keep us saved until we enjoy the fullness of salvation when we see our Savior. So God saves us through his words, but it's also his word that is the means he uses to keep us saved until we enjoy the fullness of salvation when we finally see our Savior. Christ has purchased us a guaranteed trip to eternity through his blood. But the guardrails he uses as he kind of keeps us on this salvation bus metaphor, the guardrails he uses to keep us on the road of faith is his word. It's his word that keeps us continuing in faith. See, those whom God has saved continue in faith. Believing in God's Son, repenting from sin, submitting to God's commands. In that sense, God's word is able to save your souls. It continually reveals truth. God's word continually gives hope. It rebukes sin. It points us to Christ again and again, and it reinvigorates our faith. Through his word, God keeps us experiencing the reality of our salvation in real time. We know what God has done, but as we listen, we get to enjoy the benefits of salvation. Rejecting and ignoring God's word, shutting the door on the word of God in our lives is choosing a path which, if we follow, may reveal that we were never really saved. Paul speaks of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 2. He says, By which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And he's not thinking that they did. But he does say you have to keep holding fast to this word of truth. You and I know those who used to confess Christ that have let go of this word of truth. God's word is able to save your souls if you hold fast to it. If we let go and stop listening, if we stop our ears, we reveal that we are those who have believed in vain. The way a believer continues to live in faith is by receiving with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. If you reject God's word, you will wander away from the faith. So will you keep receiving God's word? Or will you let your desires and greed get in the way of your welcoming God's word to correct and transform you? Will you go to God's word and say, God, I want your word to change me, to to, to keep transforming me? Or will you stop your ears? How much... Do you value righteousness? That's that's really what this is about. It's about valuing righteousness. How much do you value righteousness? Not just the positional righteousness that is yours in Christ Jesus through faith, but practical righteousness, living out God's commands. Are you passionate to please God as much as possible? I I think that's a tough question. I think we probably all say, No, but yes, I do want to, but not as much as I ought. If you want to be, if you want to practice righteousness in your life, then you must be willing to listen to God's correction. Even when God brings his word through imperfect people, 
You will not be righteous if you are angry with God's word. Or more often, really what happens is angry with, God, with, God, with those that God is using his word in your life. Instead, when you are angry, you begin down a path of leaving the faith. I hope that none of you are there now in your response to God's word. But it's a warning that must be said. James' audience needs that warning. Later, he's going to really warn them that they may not be saved. He's going to call on them to repent. How concerned are you that you continue in the faith? Does the word, do the words able to save your soul fill you with such longing and anticipation that you're waiting for the completion of your salvation that it shouts in your heart that that's what I want and this is what does this This is God's word that does this of course I'm going to get rid of whatever rampant wickedness there is God's word is able to save my soul I get to see my savior what more would I want is is that is that your response then you must keep receiving God's word, not just as a past tense gospel message, oh yeah, I was saved, but as the means of your enduring in the faith. Your heart must be a hospitable home for God's word, and the filth of wickedness must be gotten rid of. It is incompatible with God's holiness. We cannot welcome God's word into our hearts and yet have all kinds of garbage festering there. God's word is able to save your souls, to see you through from when you were saved to when you enjoy the fullness of your salvation. The stakes are great. Right? The stakes are infinitely great, whether you are someone who will listen. And the test is whether we listen to one another. God's glory in your righteousness is at stake. God's glory in you continuing in the faith. The thing that you should most want in the world is not just the salvation, but God's glory in your salvation. We have to listen. Are you listening to God's word? Are you just saying, I know, I know, so that you can live life your way with as little interference as possible? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the wisdom of your word and for how painful it can be. I thank you, Father, for the warning that you give and for how you and your wisdom uh, cut and you cut because your aim is to heal. I thank you for exposing in our hearts, Lord, our, our failure to listen, our quickness to speak, how quickly we get angry. How often, Lord, we are not serious in dealing with wickedness or maybe only really bad sins, but not what your word says is wicked. Haughty eyes and proud heart. Father, help us to take your word seriously, that your word would forever be hospitable in our lives, Lord, that we would want more of it, that we would be those who are saved until the end. Father, I do pray for those who don't know you, Father, I pray that you would do that miracle of, of, of bringing new birth. Pray, Father, that even as we now who know you are confessing our faith in you as we partake in the Lord's Supper together. I pray, Father, it would be a, a, a picture of what Jesus did so we can be saved. And that those without you may turn and put their confidence in your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.